This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. They get into QAnon because it gives them kind of drama and some weight to their lives. You know, they call themselves digital soldiers. And so it's, you know, whereas the rest of us are just goofing off online, perhaps, you know, for them, this this, this tweeting and posting and all this stuff, uh, it, it has, it's like, I'm battling the devil. I'm Ken Harbaugh. This is Burn the Boats, a show about making tough calls in tough times. America today faces a critical test. Our democracy is under threat, but good people are rising to the challenge. Now is the time to go all in. Now we burn the boats. My guest today is Will Summer, a political reporter for The Daily Beast and host of the podcast Fever Dreams. His new book, Trust the Plan, details QAnon's journey into the mainstream, the threat it poses to democracy, and how we can reach out to those who have embraced the conspiracy. Will, welcome to Burn the Boats. Thanks for having me. Uh, I thought I knew about QAnon until I read your book, and it is so much worse and so much weirder than I ever expected. For those who aren't deep into the 8chan fever swamps, can you give us the, the Cliff's Notes version, where it came from, what are some of the, the foundational belief structures? Sure. Yeah. So the elevator pitch on QAnon is it started in October 2017 with this figure named Q. And this is an anonymous person who appeared on the sort of anarchic, uh, often racist, anonymous message board 4chan. And he started leaving these posts um, saying, you know, they were very cryptic and saying Hillary Clinton will be arrested by the end of the month, all this kind of stuff. So these clues start emerging and they, over a series of several years, the clues are woven into sort of this worldview that, that we now call like what, what QAnon believers believe. And the short of it is that they think over hundreds or thousands of years, the world has been controlled by a cabal uh, of very sinister people who worship the devil. And that these now are people, Hillary Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, George Soros, these are the people in the Democratic Party in Hollywood and banking, um, and that they cause all the evil in the world, that sort of everything that happens, every war, every disease is they're doing. And that ultimately they and and now bear with me here, but they terrorize children and, and sexually abuse them and even eat them in uh, satanic rituals, and they drink their blood in a way that essentially makes them stay young forever. I should also say, so Donald Trump comes in here. So Donald Trump, they believe, was recruited by the military to take on this evil cabal, and that someday there's going to come a moment called the storm when Donald Trump is going to arrest all these people and maybe execute them, send them to Guantanamo Bay, everyone, Barack Obama, Tom Hanks, Oprah, everybody. And then then there's going to be this kind of utopian moment for everyone else. So you've been an, essentially an embed with this movement for, for years since shortly after it really gained life. That's embed is a military term. I'm drawing out my military background for a reporter who's forward deployed with with units on the front lines, often in combat, and you have seen some of that that combat close up. Can you give us a sense of who these 
people are. And if you can do it with some of the vignettes you share in your book, I would <laughs> love that because I mean, you're I, seriously, you're you have this way of being both empathetic and just awestruck at the the lengths these people go to to delude themselves. Yeah, I mean, I I think the average QAnon believer for at least the first couple of years was often someone who's like a Trump supporter. You know, they're older, whiter, um, you know, more likely to be evangelical Christian. But really, it takes all kinds of people. I mean, I followed one family as their their adult son who's in his twenties got sucked into QAnon, and it's often someone who, whether rightly or wrongly, feels sort of marginalized and that they don't get a lot of respect. Um, you know, whether that be in their own lives or they feel that you know coastal elites are looking down on them. And so they get into QAnon because it gives, it gives some kind of drama and some weight to their lives. You know, they call themselves digital soldiers. And so it's, you know, whereas the rest of us are just goofing off online, perhaps, you know, for them, this, this, this tweeting and posting and all this stuff, uh, it, it had, it's like I'm battling the devil. Um, and so, you know, I, I follow all these people who um, are just sort of sucked into it. I mean, it ranges from someone like Michael Flynn, you know, the, the Trump former national security advisor who gets really into promoting QAnon seemingly to make money, even though privately he knows it's a lie, uh, down to uh, a guy who got so into it that he ended up uh, murdering or allegedly murdering the, the head of a mafia family because he thought he was sort of carrying out Q's orders. I think that distinction's important, and, and I want your help teasing it out between the true believers, the actual trigger men, and there have been a few sucked into QAnon who have actually gone out and pulled triggers and what the movement has called, or what you have labeled as the priests, the Mike Flynn's among them, the ones who are really in it for the attention and the money, but no better. Yeah, I mean, I have an immense amount of sympathy for the run-of-the-mill QAnon believer, and, and definitely for the people around them who find their lives really upended by their QAnon beliefs. You know, these are often, you know, in, in sort of a weird way, they can really tell why they got into QAnon and say, well, this terrible thing happened in my life. And whereas for other people, this would be a reflection moment or, um, you know, a moment to say like, man, you know, for example, one guy I talked to had cancer and he couldn't get it treated. And so rather than say, wow, it's like really messed up here that we don't have universal health care. He then turned into this fantasy realm of saying, well, this cabal has the cure for cancer and Donald Trump's going to save my life. So these people often you can tell the, the very real issue that's driving them to QAnon. But I have much less sympathy for the, the promoters, the priests of QAnon, the people who are making hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of dollars promoting this idea. And, you know, often I think they believe it. Sometimes they don't. But, you know, they're really just stirring up so much strife in the country, both at, you know, potentially the violent January 6th type level, even murders, down to just this kind of just run-of-the-mill cruddiness of people sort of uh, abandoning their normal lives because they're convinced QAnon is real. We're a country with a long history of conspiracy theories and conspiracy theory priests. What makes this iteration so much more dangerous than things we've experienced in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple of things. I think one is obviously that QAnon has been embraced by people like Donald Trump. Uh, you know, in the past, you haven't seen the president saying, you know, I mean, Donald Trump obviously is a huge conspiracy theorist himself. You know, he entered politics through birtherism. And now he creates a permission structure for his believers to believe whatever they want. Because he says, you know, I mean, he was asked about QAnon and he said, you know, well, maybe we are going after these high-powered pedophiles. You know, what's wrong with that? And so then the average QAnon believer says, you know, this is true. And, you know, they, they sink deeper into it. I think also social media, the, the way that, you know, you used to have 
you know, maybe a crazy guy on the block and everyone else would tell him he's crazy. And there were high barriers to meet like-minded people. Um, you know, you'd have to go to a convention or send letters. But now with social media, you can just go on your phone when you're, you're at the dinner table and your family says, no, I don't think Tom Hanks eats babies. And then they say, well, you know, here it is on YouTube and you can get that kind of community that way. And then finally, I would say QAnon has this genius to it of the moment of the storm and the the clues that that make it much more participatory where it, you know, if you look at the JFK assassination, let's say you spend 10 years figuring out who did it. Okay, you know, you figured it out. Well, you know, there's nothing that comes of that, really. Whereas with, with QAnon, you know, you can be a soldier. You can go harass Comet Ping Pong. You know, you can go call Democrats pedophiles. Or, you know, you can even, in the book, you know, to the extent of kidnapping children, stuff like that. Or, or January 6th. And so I think there's this dangerous element of like, you know, we will bring about this, this heaven on earth. There's so much I want to dive into there, but let's start with the the political cover that QAnon has received from initially the far right and increasingly the Republican leadership. It has evolved into a weird symbiosis now. We're at the point where the Republican Party has such a razor-thin minority in, in some of the areas it counts on that it needs these zealots, right? It needs their energy. It needs, at the end of the day, their votes, and and they are stuck in this Faustian bargain. Absolutely. I mean, for a long period of time, Republicans would sort of look away from QAnon, and and I think there was a moment where, particularly if Donald Trump had come out and said, you know, this is this is nonsense. Stop believing in this. Get a life. There might have been some people who moved on from it, but for so long, even after QAnon supporters flooded Trump rallies and all got on TV and stuff like this, they said. Well, you know, maybe let's keep these people out of the cameras. Let's say they have to turn their shirts inside out. Let's not scare the normal people, right? But that then progresses to the point where you have to, basically Republican leaders, as we've seen with other things they've been afraid to confront in the party, they say, oh, geez, you know, these people seem to be really motivated voters. Let's avoid offending them. Um, Kevin McCarthy, for example, in the book, I talk about how before Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's obviously a hardcore QAnon believer, before she won a primary, he said, oh, this QAnon stuff is garbage. You know, this isn't for us. Then once she does w- win a primary and then becomes, you know, a member of his caucus, he says, oh, I don't even know what QAnon is. Why, why are we even talking about that stuff? So he's really, you know, he's making room for it in the party. So well, I, I got to just imagine that that political cover, it's, it's not just providing a permission structure for folks who are already so inclined to believe this stuff and express it? Is it also growing the movement? Because that's that's my big fear. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you see Republicans refusing to confront it or sort of playing this wink and nod game, for example, um, you know, not just Marjorie Taylor Greene. In, in 2022, we had several QAnon believers who were on the ballot uh, in for for the House, um, some of whom were embraced by the House Republicans just because they wanted to win those seats. Or we had, a, you know, Secretary of State candidates in battleground states who were part of a an explicit QAnon coalition to control elections, uh, and the Republican Party got behind them. And so it does, I mean, the more and more um, sort, of, sort of social value that the Republican Party and, and its leaders give to QAnon, the more it spreads. How does religion factor in? Because there is this this weird spiritual element to the to the movement, uh, this I- idea of reaching some apocalyptic crescendo and the end of disease and all kinds of things that you see in the book of Revelation and, and the end times. How 
are the adherents motivated by religious belief? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge overlap and, and th- th- there's a, a strong tie here between evangelical Christianity and QAnon going both ways. I mean, I think a lot of people who get into QAnon do it because they see it's sort of an extension of their religious beliefs as this idea that, you know, I think about uh, like the Left Behind series. And as you said, this idea that we're in the end times and, you know, Satan is a real guy that we're battling with and he's constantly trying to undermine America and people are working for him and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that is right there in the QAnon ideology. So there's a huge, in particular with like charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches, there's a huge overlap. When I go to these QAnon conventions, they'll take breaks to do prayers and to do altar calls and all these things. At the same time, there's also people who I think are brought to Christianity by QAnon. You know, people will say, you know, I was kind of this, you know, this person adrift in my life and I didn't know what it was all about, you know, why, what, what the purpose of life is. And then I discovered QAnon and I got so into these, you know, the clues and the how evil the Democrats are. And then from there, I get into churches, uh, into Christianity. And this is causing issues within churches because, you know, I've talked to pastors who say people will come to church and they'll say, you know, this is a great sermon, but, you know, why aren't you talking about the pedophiles? Why aren't you talking about Hillary Clinton? And they'll say, you know, well, that's crazy. And then suddenly this creates an issue in the church because someone will say, you know, the pastor's He's soft on the pedophiles. He's he's in league with the cabal. You grew up in a pretty conservative family in a pretty conservative area. How has that informed your work on this or helped you gain uh, access or understanding of what you're reporting on? Yeah, I mean, I grew up consuming a ton of conservative media. And so I think, you know, number one, it's given me a high tolerance for it. You know, people say, oh, how do you stand, you know, listening to Fox News all day and, and, and stuff even crazier, much crazier than that. And honestly, I like it. I get a, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I just, uh, you know, I, I find it, it's my entertainment. It's what I do for fun. So if I wasn't getting paid for it, I'd be doing it anyway. But the, I think on a, on a more serious note, it gives me, you know, like I said, a, lo- a lot of sympathy and understanding, I think, how people can fall for this stuff and how, you know, someone can be a normal person in many other aspects and, and you know, a well-meaning person while also, unfortunately, having these really abhorrent beliefs. It's sort of a gut check. I think of the the people I knew growing up, and and you know some of whom were were sort of low level Republican politicians and um, and activists, and you know it sort of gives me a sense of of what would lead someone to believe in this stuff. When it comes to QAnon in particular, you know all of the talk about children being abused and we've got to save the children, I think appeals to a very primal and I think um, at its heart of what's meant to be a positive instinct for people. This idea, you know, often people are very well meaning and they. They think, oh, you know, the children are being abused. We've got to save them. And unfortunately, QAnon and, and its promoters twist that impulse into some very ugly ways. Well, let's get specific because I want to. I want you to put a human face on some of the the victims of this conspiracy theory, and and I mean the adherents first of all, not not those who have been targeted. And you're in that category. But who are some of the more sympathetic characters you've encountered who have been sucked into this? Uh, this this whirlpool. Sure. I mean, I talk in the, in my book about this. Um, is there is there anyone you have in mind from the book? As, as I sort of try to think of somebody. Well, I'm thinking of the like the the parents who've lost their kids. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. So I talked to a lot of pe- family members who have lost. Uh, excuse me. I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who've lost family members to QAnon. Um, as I mentioned, I talked to a a father, a guy who was sort of a blue collar guy in Illinois who had been, who was so offended by Trump that he had sort of been driven to the left and watched MSNBC, kind of a classic 
character who's so offended by Trump. And, you know, he thought, you know, he never thought of QAnon as something that could happen to his family. And then one day his son comes in and says, well, dad, you know, I just want you to know some celebrities are going to start getting arrested pretty soon. You know, Tom Hanks, you know, he's going to Guantanamo Bay. And he thought, what the heck is my son talking about? This must be some weird joke from the internet. And then, you know, obviously it wasn't. And he starts seeing his son just argue with him all the time and sort of grow divorced from reality, not go outside, not have a job, because he was convinced, you know, nothing matters in comparison to this idea that, you know, the storm is upon us and the world is going to be remade and the world as we know it is a lie. Um, And so, you know, I, I follow that family through that. I talked to a woman in the UK who, when the pandemic started, she gets tricked, you know, essentially tricked into believing in QAnon. And, you know, in this very similar way, becomes a shut-in. She's terrified to go outside. And she, I think, she had very good impulses at, at her heart, which is, she said, this is the worst thing I could imagine. I'm so upset by this. And so, you know, she became really isolated and spent all her time looking into QAnon. And fortunately, because she was so upset that it was real, she was obsessed with finding debunkings of QAnon. Um, and finally, she found one that she believed and, and came out of it. And then there's the mom who literally lost her children. They were adopted into foster system and QAnon drove her to, to arm up and to try to, to rescue them. That is a, an especially frightening story because it, you know, it's where QAnon crosses over, spills over into, into violence. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, QAnon often preys on vulnerable people, people who are really in these crisis moments of their life. I mean, this woman you're mentioning, Cindy Absug, was a woman who was clearly dealing with some mental health issues already. Um, she was under investigation for Munchausen's by proxy syndrome. So this idea that she was poisoning her toddler to, to get attention. She'd been investigated for maybe having her baby somehow consume marijuana. There was a lot going on there and uh, that obviously required some social services. And so at one point in, in Colorado, the child welfare took her child away. And rather than, you know, getting mental health help or, um, you know, or at least getting a lawyer, she she's picked up by these QAnon believers. And they say, oh, don't worry. And this is a case I saw happen over and over, is saying to a mother, you know, you didn't lose your children because of some deficiency of your own, but because there's this cabal that steals children and, you know, your son is going to go be eaten by uh, George Soros, perhaps. And so these very um, mercenary QAnon promoters see her as sort of a cause celeb and they start raising money. And ultimately, according to the court case and the police, these QAnon believers travel to Colorado and they figure out the foster home where her son is staying and they plan uh, an armed attack on the home to, you know, quote unquote, rescue him. And fortunately, her teenage daughter tells the police, they, the QAnon believers in her flee the state and sort of begin this months-long odyssey across America, running from the FBI, staying with QAnon believers, um, you know, in, in just sort of exploring this really bizarre underground of conspiracy theorists. One of the most innovative features of this conspiracy theory is its ability to, to pull in elements of every other conspiracy that has, that has gained a following and, and essentially provide a buffet menu of options that can can satisfy anybody's paranoias. Is there one of those theories in particular that just stands out at you as, as the craziest? <laughs> like the, the one that jumped out at me was, was the earthquake. So the idea that when yes. it rains, it's the government, the military flooding the tunnels. Is there one that you like 
more than the others. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that one. I think that's a great one. So the QAnon believers are always looking for for proof that the the plan, as they see it, that Donald Trump is, you know, executing the pedophiles, that, that there's this kind of secret war that we can't see, that this is really happening. And so on January 6th, I talked to a woman um, before the riot happened, this QAnon believer with a big Q on a pole, and she had traveled from Ohio because she thought that day would be the storm. And, and what her real passion was was, this idea of these children that that QAnon believers think thousands of children have been kidnapped and are being abused and having their blood drained from them to be drank drank and by you know all these evil celebrities in underground tunnels. They think there are thousands of miles of underground tunnels underneath the the United States that in military bases, all these kind of things, and so they think that Trump is cleaning out the tunnels um, and rescuing what they call the mole children, and so every time. There's an earthquake. They say, oh, you know, that's probably because, you know, the military is, you know, bombing the tunnels. Or when it rains, they there's a guy who literally walks around D.C. And whenever it, there's some flooding, he says, you know, oh, look, this is because they're, you know, Donald Trump controls the weather and he's he's flooding out the the tunnels. And, you know, as ridiculous as this sounds, these people have, you know, this guy in particular, he walks around and he has thousands of fans who send him money to keep up with, you know, the the clues as they come out. Does QAnon depend on Trump? I mean, he is at the center of so many of these conspiracy theories, but as adaptable as this theory is, does it have the ability to survive even thrive beyond this one figurehead? You know, it's a great question. I think QAnon has definitely moved beyond having the figure of Q uh, behind it. You know, I, I think that as it became clearer that Q was, you know, effectively a guy in his mom's basement, uh, sort of that classic trope, as, as that became more likely, QAnon believers said, well, maybe Q isn't really Michael Flynn, for example, but what he taught us is real. And so they've moved on from Q but I think, I mean, Donald Trump really is at the center of it. When he, when Joe Biden was inaugurated, that was a huge kind of crisis moment for QAnon believers, uh, as though like it was proof that QAnon isn't real, although they've sort of have gotten together back from that and re returned to their beliefs. But ultimately, I think these conspiratorial beliefs, you know, this idea of a cabal that drinks children's blood, that, you know, everything is connected and that there are all these sinister forces at play in the world. I think that can move beyond Donald Trump even if it's not called QAnon anymore. I mean, I think this idea, you know, we think of the big conspiracy theories right now and how widespread they are, the idea that the election in 2020 and, you know, perhaps in 2022, all these elections were stolen. I mean, that really has become an article of faith in the Republican Party. So even if it's not called QAnon anymore, I think this really, this mainstreaming of conspiracy theories that, that QAnon has created, I think will be with us for a long time. I got to I got to press you on a journalistic inconsistency is uh and this is very tongue in cheek is adrenochrome uh do you drink it do you <laughs> eat it or you inject it cuz I've in your in your shows I've heard you refer to all three please explain adrenochrome Sure to us. so adrenochrome it's a real thing but in the but it's sort of different from from what it is in the QAnon mythology and what it is in the real world so in the real world it's a byproduct of adrenaline if you expose adrenaline to oxygen it, it 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 creates a dream to come. And it sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, right. So, I mean, in the real world, it, it has essentially you know very few medical uses, and it's very easy to make. But in the the world of QAnon, they think adrenochrome is like the fountain of youth, and it's this substance that you can only get 
from terrorizing or sexually abusing a child during a satanic ritual. Like, essentially, you have to be murdering this child, and then you tap it from their adrenal gland. And that then, if you drink this, it'll make you young forever, that this is how all these celebrities, they look so good. I mean, in reality, the rea you know, it's like plastic surgery is Botox, these things like this. Um, but they think it has to be adrenochrome. Um, and so that is sort of what they think the whole thing is about, that the cabal... It, it why it's doing all these things, why they create these wars, why they, you know, why they they try to take Donald Trump out of office. It's all to have this adrenochrome. And, and in terms of how you consume it, it's a little unclear. I think, you know, it may not it surprise you that there are some contradictions in the story. I think, um, it, you know, it's drinking, it's injecting, it's all that stuff. When the struggle is framed as a battle to rescue tortured children, I mean, this is where the manipulability of the QAnon adherence, it actually elicits some of my sympathy because who wouldn't fight for that, right? I mean, I, I imagine that's kind of your vector into finding sympathy for them as well, right? If you hear that and believe it, you're morally obligated to grab a rifle and go storm a pizza parlor. Yeah, I mean... Exactly. Like, if you take it seriously, that is the next logical step, I think. And that's why, you know, you're talking about the case of Pizzagate and the guy who went into Comet Ping Pong and fired off some shots. When you have people like Alex Jones telling people this, and then they're so shocked that someone would take them seriously. I mean, it, it is obviously the, the logical outgrowth of, of convincing people that this is real. And so, as you said, I mean, what QAnon believers are being told is that the most powerful people in the world... Uh, what the people, you know, in some cases we're supposed to see as kind of the the role models in our society are, in fact, you know, the most evil people in world history, that they eat children, they worship the devil, and that no one cares about it. No one's doing anything about it. Uh, certainly not the police. And so then you can see why people, uh, particularly someone who maybe already is mentally ill or someone who is just especially credulous, uh, why they then say, you know, well, I guess it's up to me to stop this. I mean, this kind of uh, this, this sort of atrocity that's happening against children. Do we know what happens over time with a conspiracy theory that is this pervasive? Or do we have any historical antecedents given that social media is a new phenomenon, the, the interconnectedness of a conspiracy theory like this has never really been put to the test before? Do you have a theory on where this goes? Yeah, I mean, really, I don't. I, I, I think it's going to be with us for a long time. I mean, as I said, I mean, even if they don't call it QAnon anymore, I mean, we've seen this idea morph and change names. For example, Pizzagate is sort of the, the ancestor to QAnon. And after the, you know, this is this idea Hillary Clinton was eating children in the base, basement of a Washington pizzeria. But after this guy storms in with a gun and there's some lawsuits are filed, suddenly Pizzagate becomes a little toxic for the people who want to promote it. So they sort of let it lie. Then a year later, QAnon emerges essentially as Pizzagate number two, or as another reporter called it, Pizzagate on bath salts. It's kind of this amped up Pizzagate. So I think it will be with us. I mean, absent some sort of just historic political shift in the United States, I think there's really a, an appetite, unfortunately, for these conspiracy theories that explain why, why bad things happen to people. Do you have any hopeful stories of people either extricating themselves or with the, the the love and care of people around them being pulled back from the brink? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very difficult to pull someone out of QAnon. I think uh, when I talk to family members, I mean, they, 
all the advice is, you know, I, I think correctly is is to not really confront it directly or not say, okay, sit down, we're going to have this two-hour debunking session. Because often that, you know, gets people's guard up. It, it makes them see you as an enemy. But at the same time, it's difficult to maintain that relationship. But, you know, there are, in cases when people do leave QAnon, it's often something very personal to them. Um, QAnon believers call what they see as the evidence that QAnon is real as a Q proof. So let's say that Donald Trump tweets 17 words and then, you know, Q is the 17th letter in the alphabet. I mean, this stuff does really make a lot of sense to people who are outside of QAnon. But for someone like that, oh, that's proof that QAnon is real. So for a lot of them, they'll come out of it because something that was really core to why they believe in QAnon is suddenly debunked. And so, for example, there was one QAnon believer who Q had predicted that Donald Trump would say at the Easter egg roll, tippy top, he would say this phrase. And you hear that and you say, well, that's kind of like a very Trumpian kind of fake phrase. You know, he probably says that all the time. But nevertheless, he did say it at the Easter egg roll. I think Q had predicted that it would happen sometime within that couple months. So it's a very general prediction. But when he did say it, you know, this video then becomes a huge proof for QAnon believers. And they look at this and they say, wow, QAnon's real. Trump is signaling to, to us his loyal servants. But one QAnon guy, he watched a debunking video that just showed that Trump says tippy top all the time. And so then he goes, oh, well, you know, if that's fake, what else is fake about QAnon? And so there are these, these moments, they're kind of small victories, but these moments where, where someone does come out of it. Well, that is hopeful. But one of the reasons that counter arguments are, and interventions are so ineffective is that for conspiracy theorists this invested, any evidence to the contrary of their worldview is evidence of an even deeper conspiracy. Tell me about the softball coach who committed some horrific crimes, but as the evidence piled up against him, his QAnon supporters just saw that evidence as an indicator of just how deep the deep state was aligned against him. Yeah, I mean, so this is a guy named Phil Godlewski, and, and he's such a great example of how, you know, number one, how many charlatans are behind QAnon, but also, I mean, guys who, you know, QAnon is about protecting children. And then sometimes these guys have straight-up criminal records involving sex with children. But because of this idea that, you know, is both promoted by QAnon, but also Donald Trump in general during the Mueller investigations and impeachments, this idea that, you know, you just can't trust law enforcement when it comes to investigating Republicans, that it's all trumped up. And so in this case, this is a guy who got really rich off of QAnon. He's bought multi-million dollar houses by selling silver and, and other metals to his fans, um, you know, by kind of suggesting that there's going to be this apocalypse. But a local paper looked into his background, and this is a guy who a few years ago was a baseball coach at a high school. And he essentially, you know, had a, a relationship that it certainly appears to have been sexual based on the charges uh, with a, a teenage girl who was at the high school at a very vulnerable moment. Her boyfriend had died by suicide. And he, you know, judging from the court papers, seems to have kind of swooped in. He was in his mid-20s. And he was charged and ultimately pleaded guilty to corrupting a minor, a lesser charge. And, you know, had he not become a QAnon promoter, no one would have known about this or cared several years later. But after this paper writes about it, he then says, well, this is all fake. You know, I'm going to sue. And so all of these messages come out where he's saying to this woman, who's this now in her 20s, he's saying, oh, yeah, you know, we had all this sex and all this kind of stuff. And so this guy is dead to rights in terms of having this relationship with with a, a woman on, on, who was under the age of consent who would, in if this guy was a Democrat, would have been QAnon enemy number one. 
but because he's a QAnon promoter, all his fans look at this article about him and these legal cases and my articles about Phil Godlewski, and they say, oh, you know, just Will Summer and all these other people, they're just agents of the cabal, you know. They're going after Phil because he's telling the truth. They have a phrase, they say, when, you, when you're taking flack, that means you're over the target. And so, you know, whenever a QAnon guy gets in trouble, they say, well, this is just proof that what he's telling us is true. Well, I, I love the military pilot reference. That's not exactly how it works. <laughs> uh, but but I, I am struck by your, and maybe you've coined this, I haven't seen many other people refer to offline communities as like the counter to these online QAnon communities. What bothers me so much about that framing is we used to just call offline communities neighbors or communities. And now, like, the online version is actually where people get their their sense of community. It is more powerful than the real world. And I, I don't know that there's an answer to that. I don't know that there's a question here, but your your framing of offline communities is just so dystopian to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really the, as you said, I mean, the answer to often to helping people get off of QAnon is, getting them offline, trying to connect them with something that they enjoy outside of the internet. But look, that's really hard, right? You know, particularly when we, we all carry the internet around in a phone in our pockets. Um, and so it is the, I think QAnon is, among other things, sort of a symptom of a shredded uh, social fabric in our country where people, you know, you don't have, uh, you know, so many institutions and so many things that that make up what we used to think of as, as our, our communities, whether it's you know, local media, uh, academia, uh, you know, politicians, uh, even to, you know, just most importantly, just community groups now. They, they've had, you know, their targets for QAnon and, and that this stuff has all kind of fallen away even before QAnon got on the scene. I mean, I'm thinking of this incident in California where a local school was going to hold a fundraiser in just sort of a, the most classic kind of like American sense of a, a community event. And then QAnon, James Comey, totally unconnected, tweeted, he played some hashtag game about old jobs he'd had. Suddenly, these QAnon believers, they're like, there's got to be clues in here. Q, he's got to be signaling that there's going to be a mass shooting. And they become convinced that this is going to happen at this event that weekend. And so then they start saying, you know, hey, school, there's going to be a mass shooting. And the school, understandably, freaks out and cancels their event. And so it's just the, this way of the, the internet just reaching out and just, you know, grabbing totally innocent people and terrorizing them. Well, it's hard to believe, but the 24 presidential election campaign is already in full swing. Do you have a sense of whether regular voters, if there is such a thing anymore, care about this stuff? Are they aware enough to perceive the danger? Does this register or, you know, can you still vote for someone like Donald Trump or Marjorie Taylor Greene who gives the wink and the nod to QAnon and, you know, consider yourself a mainstream Republican? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it is it is a difficult thing because especially now that Donald Trump really is signaling heavily to QAnon believers that, and, you know, his site, so, True Social, has explicitly been positioned to be a, a home for QAnon uh, in a way that other sites are not anymore. I think it is, you know, Donald Trump is really tying himself. You know, my, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a hugely prominent and, and heavy fundraiser for Republicans. So this is not some random person, some random small town Republican mayor uh, as QAnon initially made its inroads into the party. I mean, these are sort of the heavyweights of the party who are embracing it. And in terms of whether, you know, I realize, and it probably shouldn't be the, you know, the biggest issue for voters, 
Uh, but I do think the the weirdness of the Republican Party and the, the kind of the craziness, the January 6th of it all, you know, I, I think that is already registering at the ballot box. I mean, you know, we saw in 2022 when what you would expect to be a big year for, for Republicans. I mean, obviously, there were other things at play, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned being one of them. But I think we're seeing the kind of average voter, the suburban voter, really turned off. And I think QAnon, the, the GOP's inability to control QAnon is a part of that. When you're in these crowds and when you're talking to these QAnon followers, I know you have received quite a bit of harassment, but they also want you to tell their story. How do you walk that line? I mean, it sounds like you have friends in the movement, confidants. How how do you play both sides? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. They are people who often are very nice in a way. I mean, you know, I, I think that would change if they decided that, you know, some of them certainly think I'm this kind of agent of the cabal, but but some of them can be very nice. It's just that they're, you know, convinced that Democrats drink blood and that they kind of want this, you know, many of them sort of want this essentially fascist vision of America to take place. And so, you know, they, they in many cases, want to get their message out there. Uh, for me, you know, I certainly have to balance the, the risks of publicizing this issue uh, and the idea that it'll recruit more people. Although, you know, to be frank, the people who are getting into QAnon are not reading The Daily Beast or reading my book or watching MSNBC. I mean, they're they're watching, you know, they're, they're taking their news from Fox News and stuff far, far to the fringe of that. But it is it is interesting. I mean, you know, certainly I, I want to get the story out there. I have to keep my own safety in mind. I mean, you know, I've been ejected from some of these events and, you know, fortunately it hasn't gotten worse than that. I mean, I went to this one in Dallas and suddenly they, they realized I was there and, you know, I had hundreds of QAnon people, you know, yelling at me and chasing me out of the event. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it is definitely a fine line to, to walk there. Well, Will, it's been great having you on. Stay safe, keep it up, and we'd love to have you back. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. That was Will Summer. Make sure to check out his book, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America. Thanks for listening to Burn the Boats. If you have any feedback, please email the team at kharbaugh at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're always looking to improve the show. For updates and more, follow us on Twitter at team underscore Harbaugh. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. Burn the Boats is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer is Declan Roars, and Sean Roloffman is our audio engineer. Special thanks to Evergreen executive producers Joan Andrews, Michael DeAloya, and David Moss. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. 
I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.